The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. ...are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Okay, well, this morning's subject, we've been, we've been working through a series of questions uh, about Christianity, and uh, this morning's is, is Christianity too narrow-minded? Or maybe another way to phrase the question, is this Christianity too exclusive? Uh, one of the critiques uh, that, that will sometimes be raised about Christianity is the problem with Christianity is Christians believe that what they, that their faith is the only true faith. And that that is somehow problematic. And so what I want to unpack today is a couple of things related to that. One, yes, that's what Christians believe. If you are a, an historical Christian per- person and you embrace an orthodox Christian faith, you believe that Christianity is the one true faith. I believe that. So if you're trying to find me on a map, that's, that's where I stand. It's a strange thing to, to live in a, in, a, in a time, in a culture where people object to that concept, uh, to say it's, it's somehow problematic or even morally wrong for you to believe that what you put your faith in is actually true, which is kind of what you're saying. And so I want to talk about this, and, and come with me, because, because this may be a place where you struggle, and it may be a place where, where you've, you've written off Christianity because it seems so narrow-minded and exclusive. And what I want to put forth is, is it, is it worth embracing a faith that isn't exclusive? that says, here's some ideas, but they may or may not be true, and they don't really matter because it doesn't really matter what you believe anyway. And so we're going to get into that. We read this passage. These are the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, <laughs> if your idea of Jesus is that he's just kind of cool with everything, then these verses are problematic for you, right? Because Jesus is saying, actually, um, there is... A narrow gate that leads to the kingdom of God, and then the only other path is a path to destruction. And he says, uh, there are false prophets who come in and they teach 
a false gospel. There is such a thing as false doctrine. And then he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I will look at many and say, I don't even know who you are. So Jesus is not just kind of rolling with whatever anybody wants to believe as long as they're sincere. But we'll get to that in a minute. All right, back up. My kids just got their yearbooks, their high school yearbooks. Have you guys seen a high school yearbook recently? My word. They are elaborate. They're full color. The Brentwood High School yearbook is, is uh, plexiglass covers uh, that, that are bound with like a canvas binding and then in, and you could see through a lot of the pages and it's just this elaborate fancy thing and, it, and it's got all these different clubs and everything. My high school yearbook was a, sm- a smaller affair. Uh, it felt like it cost about the same, but, but uh, if you were to go back and look in my uh, senior yearbook from high school and you get to that section in the back that has all the group photos, all the clubs and all the things. Uh, I'm in a lot of those. A lot of those group photos I'm in. Spanish club, debate club. Thing is, I wasn't really in those clubs. What I learned was that they would call over the intercom, anybody in Spanish club report to the gym for the group photo. (laughs) And I'd kind of walk out of the classroom and go down and just sort of sidle my way into the photo. And I'm in several of them. Now, there are other people in my high school who are in almost all of them. Um, but I would do that. I, I would do it. I'm in, I'm in a couple. I, I, was, I was an early photo bomber. Um, I, I, would, I would just show up, and I couldn't, I couldn't resist being able to leave. And so I was there. I'd sneak my way into the back row. I'd sign the ledger on my way out so that my name would be in the yearbook you know, the page number and Russ is in this photo. And that was kind of the game we were playing. It was fun uh, when I look back now. Um, But I also cringe a little because it was an act of dishonesty, right? I was being dishonest. I was was playing a little bit of a game. Um, But I tell you that to say, as, as funny as that was, when I look back now, the thing that makes me cringe is that I've come to believe that belonging to something means something. Right? It means something to belong uh, to, to a group. It means, uh, it means something to say of a group or of an effort that you belong to it, that you've, that you've invested in it. I was in the Spanish club photo. I hated Spanish, and I didn't really want anything to do with it except to be in the picture. I never spent a minute doing debate prep, but I'm in the forensics picture. Like I, 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 was, I, I just I, I certainly was not a member of the school spirit club. I can promise you that. That was not on brand for me. Um, But what was to me an easy way at the time to cut class, and to a lot of my friends, by the way, I was was colluding, uh, was to those who had invested in those clubs, uh, a bit of an insult, really, right? to their work, to their investment, to their time, to the community, community that they had built. To belong to something means something specific. It means something specific. You can't belong to a team if you don't show up for practice and you don't participate in the games. You know, you don't, just because you're wearing the jersey doesn't mean you're on the team. It means something to be on the team. You can't be in a band and not have a role in the band. Right? You can't, you can't say, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in Aerosmith 
because I'm not an Aerosmith as much as I might even want to say that I'm an Aerosmith. I don't know why I picked Aerosmith, but I did. <laughs> so that came from somewhere. Um, to belong is to be enmeshed in the fabric of something, a community, to have a shared vision. And so true belonging anywhere involves exclusivity. It means I am, I am this. I, I am a part of this. I have, I have shared values. I have shared goals. I have shared hopes, sometimes beliefs, sometimes commitments that we make. And the church, if it's nothing else, it is a place of belonging. It's intended to be that. It's intended to be a visible local community where people belong. We are a church that practices membership, right? We, we receive members. Some of you went through our membership course recently. Uh, we receive members where you take public vows in front of other people and you declare that you're going to believe and embrace some foundational Christian doctrines and that, and that you want to be accountable to the church uh, and you want people to watch your life and you, want, and you say in that lucid moment when you take membership vows, and you stand up at the front and you say, I'm, I'm declaring to you all that I'm a part of this community and I intend to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. One of the things you do when you take those vows is you're saying to everybody here, you're saying, hey, listen, if, now that I'm in this lucid place where I know what I'm doing, I'm capable of ruining my life. I'm capable of making decisions that would be destructive to me and people around me. And one of the things I'm telling you as I become a member of this place is if you see me doing that, if you see me blowing up my life, if you see me going off the rails, come after me. I'm telling you now I want you to do that. I may not tell you I want you to do it then, but I'm telling you now, and I'm asking you, and I'm imploring you, and I'm identifying myself as a part of this community, right? That's why we do church membership. It's one of the reasons. The church is a place of belonging, and our hope is that anyone who walks through our doors here at Christ Presbyterian Church would find this to be a place of belonging. But part of what makes us a church is exclusivity. Part of what makes us a church is that we have beliefs and we have values and we have a mission and we have theological commitments and we have expectations for how we're going to treat each other. And so... It's one of the objections people raise about Christianity is that it's exclusive, and yet, how can you belong to some place where there is nothing exclusive about it? It's, it's, you don't really belong. You just kind of float, and you exist in there, but you don't belong. There are certain things Christians believe, and they don't just believe them to be true for only other Christians. There are certain things that Christians believe to be true about all people whether people choose to believe those things or not. For example, we believe in the idea that human beings are made in the image of God. And so the human beings bear in their very existence an unfathomable dignity that commands they be treated with respect. Right? That I'm, you're an image bearer. You've never met anybody who's not an image bearer of God. And so out of that then, we're intended to be people who live with an incredible respect for human beings in general, Christian and otherwise. We're people who believe that all of the world, including every person, has been marred by the effect of sin. 
that we're all sinful people. We believe that. Christians believe that. Christians do not believe that human beings are basically good. We believe that people are basically fallen and sinful and in need of redemption and in need of a savior. We believe that Christ alone reconciles sinful people to a holy God. We believe that Christ has completed that reconciling work through his life and his death and his resurrection. Christianity is an exclusive faith system. Guess what else is? Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, atheism. Any faith system that you encounter has exclusive tenets of faith. So if Christianity had none, if Christianity had no exclusives of faith, no exclusive tenets of faith, then anyone claiming the identity Christian would be kind of like me slipping into the Spanish club photo, right? Is, is uh, the only qualifying thing I need to be here is a desire to affiliate, and that's it. But I owe nothing to the club. I owe nothing at all. In today's passage, Jesus illuminates a few of the exclusives concerning what it means to be his followers. And specifically, he teaches, this is the way I'm going to break them down, uh, is he teaches that there is one, a path that leads to God, one path and no others. He teaches that there is a doctrine that leads to God, and, there are, and all the others are false. And then he teaches that there is a relationship that is essential to true faith. So those are kind of the three paragraphs of thought here is that there's a path of doctrine and a relationship. To be a Christian means certain things. And so this passage comes from the Sermon on the Mount, which is the largest collection of Jesus' teaching in a single place in Scripture. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the overall focus of this sermon is what it means to belong to the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God is and what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. And this sermon then is in many ways a clarification concerning what it means to be part of the people of God truly. And so there's a lot of places in here where Jesus is highlighting those particulars, those exclusives, and he's correcting things. There's a lot of places where he'll say, you have heard it said, but I say to you, right? And so he's... he's He's clarifying and he's drawing some exclusive lines. This first one is, it has to do with the path, the narrow gate. This is verses 12 through 14. And here Jesus tells us there is a particular path that leads to God and all others don't just not lead to God, but he says they lead to destruction. This is the Jesus of the Bible. There's a path that leads to God and all the others lead to destruction. That's strong. Jesus is either telling you the truth here or he's not. Those are our two options. He's either lying or he's exaggerating for hyperbole to get people's attention or he's saying something that's a fact. There's no third option. He's saying there are only two gates. Only two. And Jesus also in here says, and by the way, many are on the path to destruction. And only a few are on the harder road that leads to life. 
Not only that, in another place, Jesus says, very plainly, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father unless they come through me. Is it any wonder that Christianity would be an exclusive faith if the object of faith, Jesus Christ, is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father unless they come through me. That's as exclusive a claim as a person can make. I'm the gate, and I'm the only gate, and no one can come to God unless they come through me. It reminds me of, of something that, well, this path to spiritual fulfillment, Jesus is saying it's not broad. It's not an anything-goes path. It's a narrow road. It's hard. And while being a general spiritualist may help people feel good and chill, Jesus is saying here that the only, only the path of Christ leads us home. G.K. Chesterton, he made this statement. You'll, if you hang around here long enough, you'll hear me quote this a lot of times because it's such a utilitarian quote. Um, G.K. Chesterton said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. And I think that's true because what Jesus says when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he also says things like, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. He makes a lot of exclusive claims like that, that you surrender everything in order to follow Jesus. So that's the path. Then there's doctrine. Here in 15 and 20, he starts talking about these false prophets. And what he's doing is, in talking about this is he's saying, hey, doctrine matters. Your theology matters. What you believe about God and the world and your relationship to God and who you are and who he is and how this relationship works, all that stuff matters. And what he's saying here is he's saying there are some who teach things that are categorically false. He says that. And then he, he says, and they, the thing about them is they appear to be true disciples. But really what they are is they're ravenous wolves. And they're trying to destroy you. Again, this is the Jesus of the Bible, right? I mean, that's strong what he's saying. He's saying these people appear to be spiritually tuned in. Maybe they're inspirational in some way, but their agenda is to lure believers away from the object of their faith, which is Jesus, and to get them to place their faith in something else. And what was happening culturally at that time, and it's also happening now, is that false prophet was trying to say to people, the way that you have a relationship with God is you behave. You do good things, you do things that impress God, you do things where you are better than your neighbor, and God will look on you with favor and on your neighbor with disdain, based on your effort and based on your work. And Jesus is saying, this is a false gospel, and it's destructive, and he says these false teachers are going to be known by the fruit of their doctrine, which he then defines as deception and destruction. This is the Jesus of the Bible. So this is hard so far, right? It's intense. Jesus is bearing his teeth in these passages, right? The image here of a fruit-bearing tree means that the believer is a person who bears a certain kind of fruit, good fruit, not thorns. 
The Apostle Paul in Galatians defined what these spiritual fruits are like. He said, these, these are the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and I know I missed one. And I can't remember which one it is. It's in there. Anyway, you read it. You, you, know, go, you go home and read Galatians, <laughs> and you'll see what I'm talking about. So there's, there's doctrine, and there's false teaching, and there's true teaching. So you have the path, the doctrine, and then you have the relationship. Not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. We enter the kingdom of God through a relationship with Jesus. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. No one enters the kingdom of God through works. Why does no one enter the kingdom of God through works? Because no one works perfectly. No one has a record of righteousness based on their works that they can put to God and say, this should be enough. Because our works don't, they're, they're flawed, they're, they're, they're broken, we don't succeed, we sin, we, we, we have mixed motives, we have just kind of downright belligerent motives. And Jesus is saying only those who do the will of the Father, and the will of the Father is to place their faith in the Christ as the object of our faith, only those will enter the kingdom of God. People will think they have, for reasons that they can point to, earned a place in the kingdom of God, but Jesus says, I won't recognize you. Which to me is chilling. It's a chilling thought, especially that it's coming from Jesus' lips, that people will say to me, Lord, Lord, thinking, I've impressed you. When in fact, what they will discover in the moment is there was never a relationship, nothing. And he will tell them, depart from me, because I never knew you. We doing okay? This is heavy, right? It, it almost makes you say, well, no wonder people object to the exclusivity of Christ and the exclusivity of Christianity. Because what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, there's only one path, not many. There's only one true system of doctrine, not many. And unless you have a real relationship with me, I don't even know who you are. And that's strong. Okay. The key here is Christianity is the only, I'm going to say something strong, it's the only faith where a person's worthiness to enter into the kingdom of God rests on the work of another. And that at its heart is the exclusivity of Christianity. It's the only faith where our worthiness to enter the kingdom of God rests on the work of another and all we require is to know him and to trust him. That's it. That's the distinction. Now, for many of you, I haven't said anything you haven't heard before. Even as I was preparing this sermon, I thought... This is a lot of familiar terrain for people who have been believers for a while. In Jesus' own words, he's saying there's a path, there's a doctrine, there's a relationship that are essential to true Christian faith. Christianity is an exclusive faith. But listen, every religion has a path, and every religion has a doctrine, and every religion has some particular way that a person is intended to relate to it. Every single one of them, even atheism, is in some way exclusive faith with no particulars, is just absurd. 
It's absurd to say, I believe in everything and nothing. That's, that doesn't make any sense. You don't believe in, that's not believing in something. That's keeping a critical distance from having to have conviction. The obstacle for faith should not be that a system of faith is exclusive. It should be what those exclusives are. The obstacle for faith should not be that a faith system is exclusive. It should be what those exclusives are because every faith system has exclusives. Only Christianity ties the path and the doctrine and the relationship together into one and says they are all singularly focused on the object of the faith and that is Christ himself. Jesus is the path. He is the doctrine. He is the relationship. He's the path. He's opened the way for us to have this restored relationship with God. And so, of course, there are only two paths. Because there's the path of a relationship with him or no relationship with him. Here's another way of saying it. There are only two possible paths. One where we try to carry ourselves to God based on the best we can do. And another where we are carried by the grace of Christ. And Christians say we're carried by the grace of Christ. Which eliminates, by the way, Christians saying to anybody else, I'm better than you. Because what we're saying is I'm hopeless without the finished work of Christ. So Jesus is the path. The doctrine that Christians embrace is the reality and the meaning of the work of Christ on our behalf. He kept the law perfectly for us. He died in our place as a substitute for our sin. He gives us his perfect record of righteousness before God. That's the Christian doctrine. The relationship. The relationship to God required of a true believer is not of a worker reporting to his or her boss in the hope that God will find the work acceptable. Hoping that we made the grade somehow. It's, it's a relationship of faith and trust and affection and joy rooted in the love that Christ has already shown to us. The unique quality of the exclusivity of Christianity is that the path and the doctrine and the relationship are all interdependent. And they're all centered on the object of our faith, Christ himself and his work on our behalf. Okay. There's a lot of doctrine right there, right? But do you see, like, it doesn't make sense to say, I'm throwing both of my arms around a faith that has no exclusive tenets. Because it's not really anything. Christianity says, no, there are exclusive things that we believe. But at the heart of them, what we're believing is that Christ has done for us what we couldn't do. And that we are carried to the throne of grace by a gracious Lord. And that's what's distinct about Christianity. You won't find that anywhere else. You will find methods and plans to achieve and to keep a law and to center yourself. But you won't find dependence on the mercy and grace of another. What does it mean then for us? What's the practical application we'll land with this? The exclusivity of Christianity. 
means that the Christian faith does not, does not turn a cold shoulder to the rest of the world. We don't. The path, the doctrine, the relationship to Christ that true Christians embrace compels us to serve, to lay down our lives for the sake of others in the imitation of Christ, knowing that every good thing we have we've been given and we've been given freely and we've not merited on our own. Christianity kind of blossomed in the Roman Empire, right? The Roman Empire was known for being a brutal place. It was known for being a place that was divided racially, according to gender lines, economically, and it was rough. And Christians were called to live at peace and to live as people who said there is no male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free. We're to live as one. One of the phenomenons of early Christianity is they would have these cemeteries where Christians would be buried together at a time when Slaves and free were not buried together. Jews and Gentiles were not buried together. And yet Christians would be buried together. And they would live at peace. And they would love and they would welcome into their midst people of all races and economic statuses. And it was a learning curve for the disciples. Peter struggled with this. But that was one of the distinctives one of the exclusivities of Christianity was the welcoming of all kinds of people. True Christianity is built on self-emptying love. It's built on the self-emptying love for God and neighbor, respecting the dignity of personhood. We don't do this perfectly. Tim Keller has a great quote about this. He says, that, though Christians live imperfectly, Keller says this, he says, the biblical doctrine of universal sinfulness also leads Christians to expect believers will be worse in practice than their orthodox beliefs should make them. So there will be plenty of ground for respectful cooperation. I love that. Part of being a part in the body of Christ and being Christians and being community together is we expect each other to not live up to the standard of Christ even as we encourage each other to live up to the standard of Christ. And there's patience and there's compassion. Thank the Lord for that. I know I need that. The exclusive beliefs of Christianity lead true believers to humble, peaceful lives of respect for others. Now, <laughs> we live in a cultural time where Christianity is co-opted to mean other things. And it's everywhere you look. There are a lot of people posing for the group photo who are not participants in the club, if I can speak in code like that. It's, it's the truth, though, right? That evangelical Christianity, American Christianity, has, has multiple definitions now, and not all of them are definitions of true Christianity. Some of them are political, some of them are cultural, some of them are behavioral, uh, some of them are, uh, it's us versus the world. Um, and, and, but here's the thing, is... There will always be those who claim affiliation because they want to be seen, because they want to exploit the community of faith for their own personal gain. Jesus calls them ravenous wolves. 
as strong. But true Christians are people who have received the grace of Christ and as a result, love the poor, love the disenfranchised, care for the orphan and the widow and those who are not like them. And they will constantly invite others to come to know the path and the doctrine and the relationship that is rooted in Christ. It's one of the reasons why we talk every Sunday here about our desire to be a culture, to have a culture of invitation. And one of the reasons why as a pastor I'm always thinking and praying, Lord, help me as I communicate the truths of Scripture to do it in a way that will not make the person who took the risk and invited a coworker, invited a neighbor, uh, regret it. <laughs> you know, uh, because, I, because I took a side politically on something that I shouldn't have or, or I talked like we were all insiders or, or, or whatever. That I want us to be a culture of invitation where we're bringing people in to say, yes, there are some things we believe that are exclusively true. But part of it, as Dr. Lim in that video talked about, one of the things we do then is we say, we'll talk about any question you have. There's no question that can be raised that will topple Christianity. And I say that with confidence because if it hasn't happened yet, I don't think it's going to happen. Christianity is not a path to nowhere in particular. It's a path that leads to a direct destination. And that destination is a relationship with God by way of a relationship with Christ and there are only two gates. The one where we try to carry ourselves to God through our best efforts and our good works and the one where we're carried to God by the grace of Christ who was perfectly righteous for us. That second one, that's the exclusivity of Christianity. Pray with me. Lord, it's strange to live in a time where to believe anything firmly is considered an intellectual or moral weakness. Uh, and yet at the same time, Lord, maybe that's just a, uh, a caricature of our culture and not the real way it is. Maybe uh, we are living in a time where, where I see it. I see people respecting folks who have conviction and have the integrity of planting their feet with what they believe. Lord, I pray for every Christian in this room that you would help us to be people who are committed to the exclusivity of our faith, specifically the finished work of Christ on our behalf. But that as a result of that commitment, we are the most humble and welcoming people in the world because we know that every good thing in our lives was given to us. We can't boast in something that you do for us without just boasting in you. And so Lord, help us to do that. Give us the courage to invite our friends and our coworkers, and even this week to think of names uh, of people to reach out to and invite them. Uh, may we be a community that is doing that, not for the sake of just growing in number as a congregation, but for the sake of being heralds that are pointing to the path and the doctrine and the relationship that are all wound up into one, and that is you. Thank you that the gospel is true. Thank you, Jesus, for saying strong things and give us a capacity and a humility to receive those strong words from you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.